Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your series-by-series check-in for Cubs news, notes, and banter. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are an official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue. Uh, Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs at bleedcubbyblue.com. And just a quick disclaimer Uh, We are recording this as the Cubs are still playing the Reds. So if we burst into spontaneous cheers or applause uh, at some point during this recording, it is because it is the eighth inning and Wilson Contreras just untied the game. Um, I'm Andy Cruz Vanasek, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you that it will not be at the same time because apparently I'm on a major delay. So (laughs) Sarah will cheer first and I'll cheer later if it happens that way. Yeah, as we were getting ready to record, I started yelling Wilson, and Andy was like, what is going on? (laughs) I was so far behind. That's just kind of how we roll here. Um, So to get started, we're going to do a look back at the Philly series, and this was kind of a weird one. I mean, the Cubs should feel good that they split their series with the Phillies, right? They're both first place teams. The Cubs are in first in the Central. The Phillies are in first in the East. They're like very similar. The Cubs are slightly better in terms of the number of runs that they've scored and slightly better in terms of the number of runs that they've allowed. They played toe to toe with them. Andy, why do I feel so disappointed that we split a series with the Phillies? Well, I know why you feel so disappointed, but I'll wait and let you talk about that because I think it's very important to bring up um, the the officiating that happened during this series. So I'll let you bring that up when um, when you're ready to hash that out because I know that you have very strong feelings about that. <laughs> you have um, very strong feelings. Th- right, yeah. My thought basically on this series is, yeah, you have to walk away being eh, okay with splitting with the Phillies. Definitely feel like we should have at least taken three or four, if not all four. So you know the potential was there to win those games. There were some key factors that just – um, I'm just completely astonished. And Sarah had to do the math several times, um, regarding, <laughs> regarding our runners left in scoring position, which, um, it, it's just crazy to me that we even pulled off two wins with how many guys we left on base. This yeah. is a problem. I mean, totally. it's, it's alarming. So shout out to at Cubs fan forever for tweeting this question at us, but he wanted to know what was going on with the Cubs leaving men on base. And so we looked at this for the Philly series, 38 runners left on base <laughs> during this four game series. And that is crazy. I mean, I, like I, like I said, 38 is just monstrous. And you and I kind of briefly that, you know, that's a lot of runs to leave on the base, but obviously not all, all of those become runs as you reminded me, but even if half of those even if a third of those became runs, a quarter. I mean, that's I mean, another 12, 13 runs. Yeah, which which gets us into something else that's going on with the Cubs at the moment. And that is that they're just not hitting particularly well with runners in scoring position. A friend of mine on Twitter, uh, at Bleacher Meter, tracks the Cubs runners in scoring position average. And I looked it up just before we started recording to see where we're at coming into today's game against the Reds, the Cubs are hitting 249 with runners in scoring position, but like all baseball numbers, I think that needs a little bit of context. The Cubs are 21st in major league baseball in terms of hitting with runners in scoring position. And these are the teams that they find themselves surrounded by for this particular stat. 
San Francisco, the Nationals, San Diego. A- admittedly, like the Astros are down there too. So it's not just teams that are struggling down there, but man, you gotta you gotta hit better with runners in scoring position. I mean, that's just textbook. And that's just um, you know, manufacturing these runs is something that they were so good at, I feel like, um, early on. Um, not necessarily during their two and nine st- or two and seven start, but I mean, you feel like that was something that they were really grinding out some of these these guys on base and finding ways to get them around, and and they just have not been doing that. And I don't know what is more frustrating, to be quite honest, um, that or the bullpen. And I, I guess we can talk about that later. But the bullpen has been um, rather not good too. But <laughs> again. Yeah two areas that you you cannot be bad in and expect to win games. Totally. I mean, we're, we are absolutely going to talk about the bullpen as I'm sitting here biting my nails, praying that Steve Ciszek can close out <laughs> this game so that I don't have to deal with another extra innings, blown ninth inning disaster. Uh, we're getting to more of those because we had a couple of them recently. The Let's, let's look at some of the uh, pitchers for and their performances for this series. It was kind of a little bit bizarro. Cubs baseball, it seemed like you and Q really had two of the strongest starts in the series, and Cole and Lester really did not have that strong of performances. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And, you know, like we always talk about um, the the inability to predict what we're going to get from you, Darvish. I mean, he actually looked really good. I was thoroughly impressed with um, the battle that he put up. Obviously, it was also a mental battle because he knew he was going up against somebody who is very much loved by um, the Chicago crowd and and still by a lot of his teammates. So, you know, that that could not have been easy. And props to him. I mean, he handled it um, pure class all the way around uh, on Jake's first at bat. It was just it was emotional moment. It gave me goosebumps. I mean, I had these emotions sitting on my couch at home watching the game. Can you imagine what it would have been like to pitch that game? I mean, that's just, that's, you know, something that I, I would never be able to wrap my brain around. But he handled awesomely and, and actually pitched a very good game. And um, quite frankly, I was a little disappointed. And yeah, Jake pitched well, too. I mean, they both, I feel like it was a pretty even duel. Although I do kind of feel like Darvish had the, the edge, even though I know that sounds ridiculous when, um, Jake's offense scored more runs. Obviously, that's a win. But um, it, I just felt like Darvish, Darvish's stuff was just ridiculous. And um, it was a little hard to, to swallow that, you know, he, we couldn't get that win for him. I'm sorry. I'm speechless because the Cubs just gave up a two-run home run. And I <gasps> can't right now. Um, yeah, so let's get back to Jake and you for a second i'm just gonna sit here in stunned silence <laughs> uh oh, that, that would be a bad look it. for a podcast i just um, got it yeah yeah oh. not good not great uh we'll get to that later in the in the podcast the i agree with you that darvish i thought handled himself incredibly well in a tough situation i the standing ovation for jake was the stuff of legends if you haven't seen it we'll tweet it out on our at Cup of Cubby Blue account, it was an incredible moment. And Darvish, you know, backed off the mound, really gave Jake his space, let the Cubs fans appreciate him. It was really incredible and just something to see. And the thing that was really interesting to me about comparing these two starts is I thought Darvish looked better than Jake early on. But later in the game, as it got kind of challenging, uh, Jake really demonstrated what made him tough as nails and beloved by Cubs fans 
for so long, which is that he he is just capable of putting up a, sh- a shutdown inning when necessary. And that's not really been a thing that we've seen from Darvish. Uh, so that was, you know, it was a tough one to lose for reasons that we'll get into in a second dealing with the officiating. I The Cubs won this game. I don't. <laughs> Andrew McCutcheon swung at strike three and struck out for the last out in the ninth inning. And it was not called and changed the entire game. The Pirates wound up, or the Pirates, the Philly, I'm used to McCutcheon being a Pirate. Uh, the Phillies wound yeah. up scoring <laughs> and the Cubs couldn't come back. And I, I just, we have got to do something about the way these games are officiated. So if you haven't seen it, I published a piece earlier today on Friday that I've been working on for a while now looking at balls and strikes, because there was a really interesting study out of Boston University that was released in early April, where they looked at 4 million pitches and looked at blown calls, basically. And the number of blown close calls is shocking. And it's also super predictable when they're going to occur. So I actually think that, and it's, and part of the reason I wanted to bring this up with the Philly series is because there was all, this also impacted the fourth game. Uh, again, with McCutcheon at bat, but the strike zone just was woefully inconsistent. And there were lots of pitches that were absolutely 100% strikes that were called balls and made things really difficult. Now, some people want to say that's about Wilson Contreras and framing. I am sure that is part of it. But we literally have technology that shows what is a ball and what is a strike. And everybody has access to that technology, except for the umpires who are in charge of making that calls, those calls. And it's mind blowing to me. I mean, I don't, there's so much there to unpack. I don't even know where to start in the whole blown call on the check swing. I mean, that has got to be a reviewable call, period. Yes. Period. It has to be. It has to be. Um, I mean, you know, there's so many different, so many different situations that you can be in at at the end of the game, but when it ultimately is tallying a win or a loss or taking a win or a loss from you, you've got to, you've got to be able to challenge that. You've got to be able to go back and look at that because yeah, that game was over. The Cubs had won that walk away game over, put that win up And, and for that to not go that direction, you know, there's a lot of things that change in that moment and you have to be able to go back and look at that. You just do. I mean, there's so many, we've, we've come across so many different situations and so many odd situations in games lately where there, there needs to be reviewable calls. And I hope somebody is keeping a list because when they brought this whole replay thing, um, into fruition when this all became real life and this is what we're doing now then you need to start adjusting based on it just it has to go that way especially I mean and the Cubs are the prime example last year when their season comes down to one game I mean it's just that important and you know if if Major League Baseball doesn't realize this, then they're not paying attention because there's just, I mean, on a daily basis, there's blown calls. Yes. But calls that decide a game and a game that, you know, like we were, we were witness to last year can determine what happens to your season. I mean, you have to be able to go back and look at that. I obviously feel very strongly about this and I could go on forever, but that that's just something they need to be making a list of situations that need to be added to that reviewable call list 
I mean, it, it just it needs to be adjusted based on what we're seeing happening these days. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And the other thing that I think needs to be looked at, one of the things that's really interesting about this Boston University data set and what they demonstrated is that there are certain umpires who are very good at getting the zone right and have substantially lower blown call rates than other umpires. And it just sort of makes sense if you think about it. The ball is moving really fast. It's hard to get those calls right, depending on how you're positioned. It's, there's a lot of different elements that could come to play there. But and, and I understand why the umpires union wants it to be a rotating crew and they want to protect all of the longer standing members of their umpire group and everything. But it is totally ridiculous to have the data and know that some people are capable of calling balls and strikes well and to simultaneously put out people that you know are making errors up to 14% of the time. That is. I don't even know what that is. Like, it's, I mean, this isn't a medical situation, so it's not malpractice, but I don't know whatever the baseball equivalent of malpractice is. You should not do that. You should not knowingly put people in a position where you know they are going to fail. Well, I use this example on a Facebook post of yours, and I think this is probably the best way to put it that people would understand. Being an umpire at, at the Major League Baseball professional baseball level is a profession. These people are getting paid to do this job. Okay. Just like the players are expected to master their position and be good at their position and they practice and they train and they spend many long hours doing what they do so that they can be the best they can at that position. The umpire should be the exact same way. We should expect no less. These dudes are making decent money doing this job and you know, people's whether or not they are good at their profession depends on how they, you know, make these judgment calls. So, I mean, I don't understand why it would be absolutely ridiculous to ask these guys, pick a spot on the field, get good at it, you know, nurture your craft, do what you need to do and, and, and stay there, stay in that spot, be good at it. Don't make errors. I mean, what happens when, you know, somebody makes, an ungodly amount of errors in a game. Do they get pulled on any level? They better. There's probably somebody waiting to take their spot. So it should be the same. There should be the same accountability with these umpires. And I just, I haven't seen that at all. Well, we don't see it because the way that the process works, apparently, I mean, this is just what I've read about it is, you know, they have conversations about their performance. They're told when they miss things, they're asked to review it. There are certain procedures that happen with that but we don't know we don't have a window into any of that so all we see is that somebody is blowing calls consistently on the field and it's aggravating and we can't do anything we see nothing about what happens after that which is wholly unsatisfying um but there were some good things in this series too so i'm gonna i'm gonna hit pause on ranting about umpires blowing calls because i could do that all day and let's talk about some great stuff game two uh Jose Quintana had a really awesome game, quality start. He pitched six innings. He only gave up two hits. He had four strikeouts. I, I score those as Qs, not Ks, uh, when Q is pitching, for those of you keeping track at home. And Javi Baez had an absolutely magical walk-off. <laughs> Can we talk about the Javi Baez pinch hit walk-off? I mean, one pitch. That's all the dude needed. I, I didn't even think Javi Baez was available this game. He was dealing with this heel contusion. 
we hadn't seen anything about him. In fact, early, before the game, there were rumors that he was getting an MRI. I was really worried. I was like, oh my God, it's an MRI. They're worried that it's way worse than we think it is. And here comes Javi Baez, one pitch, <laughs> game over, we're going home. And apparently, did you see this exchange? I think Bleacher Nation had it. I could be wrong, but apparently he called this. Him and Strope were having a conversation in the dugout, and he basically told Strope he was just going to go up there and end it. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, but that doesn't surprise me, and I would not put that past him. I mean, that's that's to- that totally seems like something that he would do. Yeah, I totally and agree. he the can le- do. We know he the, can do that. <laughs> right. The legend of El Mago calling his walk-off shot. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, um, the other ahead. thing I found humorous about that was ESPN, um, and I don't even remember who the, the team was for ESPN. Uh, was this Tuesday night? Yes. Or was it Monday night? I don't was, remember. Monday. I don't, Tuesday. I don't remember. Whatever night um, it was. I just had it in front of me and I don't know how I lost it. But anyways, the crew was making the comment Tuesday. The crew was making the comment. Um, somebody was up to bat and they said, well, typically if you have bias, this is a bat him. But somebody was on, I think it was Schwarber and they had somebody on second and there was two outs. And they said, typically this is a spot where you'd go ahead and put bias in and let him bat. And uh, he must be too hurt to come into this game. And I just thought that was hilarious because then out he trots you know, in the bottom of the ninth. And I'm like, well, yeah, he looks, he looks hurt, but he could still win a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He definitely Jeez, has still been moving crazy. a little bit slow, but I think that, I mean, this lineup is so much better with Javi Baez in it. It's really not even close. Um, right. Any percentage of ability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like one third Javi Baez is almost, is basically just like your standard all-star. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk about game three. This was the battle of the Coles. Interestingly, and I've heard this a couple of places now enough that I believe it is true, even though I don't know how they figured it out or verified it. This was apparently the only time that two pitchers named Cole bo- both matched up against each other <laughs> in a game. So Cole really? Hamill faced off with Cole Irvin. It's like the first one, <laughs> which I think is great. And here's what's, here's what's even crazier about that. Next week, if everything uh, times out right, Cole Hamels is going to face off against Garrett Cole. So we'll have another Cole-Cole matchup, although not quite the same, obviously. Um, man, Hamels looked bad. I, I don't even know what else to say. He lasted four innings. He gave up nine hits. He was getting hit hard. Uh, he, had a, he had a lot of strikeouts and not a lot of walks, but it just really didn't look like a great night for Cole Hamels. And he kind of got away with it because the Cubs' bats looked so good. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit. I mean, I've 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 tweeted about it, and I I've talked to a couple people that you know follows Cubs baseball closely. The re-signing Cole and just how he was last year, you you know, there's going to be these peaks and valleys. You just know that's the kind of pitcher he is, and you expect the valleys. You know, he's somebody that gives up quite a few home runs. Um, and and people when he is not on people make hard contact against him and that was this was just one of those games and you kind of come to expect that and keep in mind Cole Hamels is not a spring chicken anymore and you know it it's just one of those things where you just know he's going to have a game or two like that here and there and um you know it, you always you, you 
you know he has good stuff because we've seen it so often already this season. So it's hard to swallow when we see a, a start like this from him. But definitely just one of those things that you want to get out of your system and move on. And hopefully he, you know, comes out his next start and has his normal stuff. Yeah, I agree. And it was really nice that the Cubs could put together a win, even with him not having his best stuff. Two home runs that I want to talk about from this game that I think are incredible. Uh, Rizzo broke the D in what I call the scoreboard, which is that big video board out in right field. That's the uh, big video board that Kyle Schwarber hit a home run on the top of in 2015 that is still up there. I go check on it periodically to make sure that nothing's happened to that ball under plexiglass. Uh, so Rizzo broke the D, which if you've not seen video of this, you should absolutely check it out. It was very much uh, the natural moment. And Albert Almora Jr. had his first career Grand Slam, which was kind of incredible. So I didn't actually watch this game live. I had to watch it later. I was out at a concert for one of my favorite artists that night. And I got this MLB alert that was like <laughs> Albert Almora Grand Slam. And I was just like, Albert Almora did what? He looks really good right now. He's hitting for power and he's hitting all over the place. It seems legit. I both of these moments I feel like are going to be moments that we talk about probably all the way into the end of the season you know how we have those moments throughout I think both of these moments will be things that we we bring up later so I mean continue to bring up through the end of the season both very big moments obviously you love to see any kind of production out of Albert Almora Jr. just um, a grand slam was very unexpected but it was, it was amazing it was awesome to see and you know he was very excited very jacked when when Rizzo hit his home run, hit the D, got the D, like uh, like Joe said, <laughs> Riz got the D. Um, it was, I mean, it was truly natural, like the natural. Um, one of my favorite all time movies ever. I absolutely get goosebumps every time I watch that. I mean, when he hit that, it was just, it was phenomenal. I mean, he it was he crushed it. I just don't even know what else to say. I'll watch highlights of that probably forever. It was it was awesome. It was just awesome. And Len and JD, if you don't get to watch them very often, I tell you what, I don't, I can tell you I don't. So when I do, I embrace every moment and they are just spectacular at calling these, these shots. And we've had a few of them this year already. Yeah, there were a couple more today that we'll get to talk about on the flip side of the break. Um, before we move on from game three, I would be remiss if I did not give a shout out to Tyler Chatwood, who was awesome out of the bullpen he pitched four innings he gave up three hits he only walked one person uh he did give up a solo home run to Andrew McCutcheon but I think that McCutcheon is just going to continue to kill the Cubs no matter where he's playing I'm glad he's no longer in our division uh and and in game four he had a pinch hit double which who saw that coming from Tyler Chatwood um I am the new driver of the Tyler Chatwood fan bus so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The dude is awesome and he's totally on this redemption tour and I am here for it. Yeah. All aboard the Tyler Chatwood fan bus. I am also very here for it. Uh, game four really quick. I mean, this was the second start in a row where Lester looked not great. He totally owned it after the start. I, I mean, this game felt out of reach early and I guess it's a tribute to this Cubs team that they were able to make it close late because they were down. Uh, five nothing. They were I, Lester gave up seven runs. It was well, he gave up four earned runs, but seven runs during his four innings. It just really was not a particularly pretty day, uh, pitching wise for the Chicago Cubs. The wind was blowing out. It was warm. Um, 
But late in the game, Schwarber and Rizzo both took Pat Nishak deep. And is Schwarber heating up? I mean, this leadoff thing seems to agree with him, which is kind of incredible when you consider that in 2017, there were a lot of concerns that batting leadoff really didn't agree with Kyle Schwarber. I mean, he got sent back down to AAA after he struggled in that position for a while. And now all of a sudden it looks like he's pretty comfortable there since he took over the leadoff spot on May 16th. He is slashing 267, 368, 567, and has a WRC plus of 139, which I'll take that from a leadoff hitter all day. I mean, he looks great up there. He looks comfortable and, you know, he's seeing the ball. He's making contact. He's taking walks. It's, it's not a bad look for him. And I, you know, as long as he can keep this up and and we see some consistency out of him in that spot, I'm not going to argue that at all. And, and, you know, go ahead, keep him there. I'm fine with it. Not a traditional leadoff, obviously, but if it works, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Totally agree. I think that's a really good place for us to take a quick break for our sponsors. Uh, We will be right back on the flip side with a look at this Red Series. And we're back. So we just saw the Reds like last week. Since then, they took, uh, they lost two of three with the Dodgers and then split with the Brewers. The Brewers loss was kind of disappointing because I was really sure that the Reds were going to pull that out. They were up 5 nothing and then 6-1 early, and they just really couldn't hold it, which was super frustrating. Um, the probable pitchers for this series are, and I need to click through because I closed down that link. It's brilliant of me. Uh, the first game was Scalfani and Kyle Hendricks. The second game is Tyler Maley and Yu Darvish, and then the finale on Sunday afternoon will be Tanner Roark and Jose Quintana. I mean, these are all people that we just saw very recently. What are you looking for in this red series, Andy? Um, Total redemption. I mean, I'm already tired of the reds and it's only, you know, the end of May. Um, But this is very feasibly a team that we should be sweeping. We should be beating this team. I mean, this is what we need to do. This is where these wins you know, cow, you got to beat the teams that you should be beating. And, and we're just not doing that against the Reds, but in all fairness, you know, they're, they're playing pretty tough. You know, they're, they're not getting swept by teams that should be handling them. And, um, you know, uh, more power to them, I guess, you know, as long as you do that to the Cardinals and the Brewers, I'm good with it. I just, you know, we, we got to get some wins out of these guys and we got to get back on, on another, on another streak and, and, and keep rolling, you know, it's back to good baseball. And I think this is a perfect team, perfect team to start that again. And, and, you know, unfortunately today it's not going to start, but hopefully, you know, we can see us finishing out the series and, and taking two of three. I was going to say, right, when you were like, maybe we can sweep this series. I wanted to be like, Andy, Andy, we literally just lost. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm uh, looking at the MLB TV. Thank you for watching screen. So I know. But we should be. We should be sweeping. I heard a lot of people predict that we should have been sweeping this series. And and it's. I know that the guys probably feel that way, too, especially the way that we just lost this game. So. Yeah, I feel the same way. And in fact, let's just jump right into this because this is a question that we got on Twitter. And full disclosure, we're going to talk a lot more about the Cubs bullpen situation in, uh, as these episodes go forward because, man, without Pedro Strope and Brandon Morrow back there, it is rough <laughs> out in the bullpen. Um, you know, so the Cubs clearly need some relief help. If you're just catching up or maybe you missed the game on Friday afternoon, 
the Cubs game were up five to four in the bottom of the ninth. Steve Ciszek, who has been one of the more reliable closing options for Joe Madden, came in and just didn't have it. Um, he gave up a two-run homer, and that was really it. He, I, he either walked somebody or hit somebody right after that, was taken out of the game. James Norwood, who is the latest Cub to join the team off the Iowa shuttle, uh, came in and got out of the inning, but the Cubs weren't able to do anything in the bottom of the ninth. There are only so many times that you can have ninth inning heroics and walk-offs. And, you know, the walk-offs have been really fun, but I think it's worth noting that part of the reason that they've been happening is because the Cubs are blowing leads in the ninth inning a lot, and the offense is picking up the pitchers who are blowing those leads. So the question that we got on Twitter from... uh. Ari Soglin is what should, what is the most that the Cubs should give up for a reliable closer? And man, that's a tough question, but it's absolutely the right one. Who, what are you thinking we can give up, Andy? <laughs> oh, geez. At this point in time, as many losses as we've had because of our bullpen or lack of a closer or however you want to frame the situation. I mean, what is what is out of the question i think is a better is a better question a better way to approach this because really at this point in time we've seen this bullpen cost us a number of wins and when you look at who is expendable and who is not um it's really got to come down to you know, you have your obvious ones that you're not going to touch. I've heard some crazy talk out there and you people that like to talk crazy keep in mind that karma is not a fun thing to deal with. So keep your thoughts to yourself. Okay. <laughs> um, and the ones I'm talking about, obviously, you know, we're all in the same um, thought here of let's not get rid of a Chris Bryant. Let's not get rid of an Anthony Rizzo. Wilson Contreras off the is Absolutely not. Other than that, I mean, you know, who else, <laughs> who else do we not get rid of for a closer? I mean, I know I sound very dramatic right now and, and that's the point. That's my, the point I'm making is we're in a situation where we really need to find that piece to put this all together. And, and I honestly don't think if we're not going to spend the money, we got, we got to dig deeper and figure out what we can give up. And other than who I named, you know, and obviously our, our starting pitching, we, we have to, we have to stay, stay diligent and, and who's available and, and stay open-minded to who we're willing to part with because, you know, it's, it's obviously a difference maker and it's something that will help us exponentially down the line. Yeah. I think that who you give up depends a little bit on what you're getting out of the return. And so I'm working on a piece that will hopefully be up sometime over the weekend or early next week, looking at who uh, the Cubs could target for relief help. You know, the difference between getting multiple years of a guy who's been a really reliable and shut down arm versus getting a few months of a guy who has who is a lights out closer is pretty big to me. So I think it does matter who the return pieces are. I think that you're right that there are quite a few untouchable people on the roster as far as who you would trade for relief help. I do think there are a couple of pieces out in the bullpen that could be considered movable. Um, there might be teams who are very interested uh, in a piece like Mike Montgomery, say, and I love Mike Montgomery. I don't really want to see him going anywhere, but for the right deal, if you throw in something more 
than a closer. I I don't know. Maybe you could see that happening. The He's a starting caliber pitcher for some other teams, though. So that would have to be a really nice package and not just a closer. Um, as far as position players on the 25-man go, I mean, I think the only one that the Cubs would probably include in a deal like that is Addison Russell. And I think that that is because they clearly wanted to move him at some point in the offseason and didn't feel like they could because of where he was at with value and whatnot. And if they if he were to heat up a little bit, I think the Cubs would probably move him in a deal like that, particularly given the blowback that they've gotten from a lot of fans with him being on the team. I have to say my 2018 self cannot believe what I'm about to say, but Tyler Chatwood, I think needed to be added to that list. He's been (laughs) huge. He's been huge. And if we're only talking one arm, if we're only talking one closer, we have to keep Chatwood in that spot. I mean, there's no two ways around it. Um, Ideally, I've heard a lot of people talk about, we would go after two arms, but I mean, Back to basics, people. We need one, and we need one quick. I mean, obviously, our baseball, the baseball we've been playing the last 10 days shows you where we're at with that. And, you know, Chatwood has been instrumental in, in some of these long relief appearances. He's He's been great. And like I said, my 2018 self is, like, in shock that I'm even saying this, but this is what's happening right now. So I guess yeah. I'm just going to have to be okay with Tyler Chatwood staying on this team I mean especially with the way he's looked at I'm not mad about it well having Tyler Chatwin in the pen is such a nice weapon because he can give you multiple innings and he's really been outstanding out of the bullpen there's been a couple of people talking about him maybe as a closing option although I think there are a bunch of reasons you wouldn't want to do that the big problem right now is that while Strope is on the IL and we have no idea when and if Brandon Morrow will throw for the Cubs this year it really just feels like the back end of that bullpen is super unreliable. The, you know, C-Sheck just gave up a game. Brock given up a game. Kinsler has given up a game. I mean, you can just go down the list and it feels like over the last 10 games, every single person in that bullpen has struggled in the ninth inning to lock it down. And I'm, it's, it's frustrating, particularly if, you know, you find yourself in September and you're in a really tight race with the Brewers or the Cardinals, and you're looking back at how many games were given away in May because Pedro Strope was injured. And frankly, if I want to be fair, Pedro Strope has blown a couple of saves this year too. So it's not like he was particularly locked down out there either. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously a glaring weakness that we have talked about since basically what feels like the beginning of time. We have got to get somebody in that spot. And Brandon Morrow is a huge question mark. I have kind of comes with a ter- come to terms with the fact that I don't think we see him in a Cubs uniform again. I think that's something that we need to be prepared for. Um, and th- we cannot be the only ones that see such a huge need for this. I mean, you know that they're it's it's on their radar and it's something that they're definitely um out there and checking into and you know and and seeing what's available and where. I mean, it just I feel like the process needs to move a little faster. I know we want to wait till after the the international draft and all that good stuff. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But how many losses are we going to rack up between now and then? I mean, is it worth it? Is it you know, I just 
I, again, I know I sound super dramatic right now about all of this, but it is a it, 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 it is a point of frustration with a lot of people because we know that it's solvable and it's just a matter of doing it, you know, just get it done. Yeah, totally. Uh, one thing to keep in mind here, I just actually looked this up because I was curious what the timetable was on Moro. He did, he, um, they did get positive news about him earlier this week. It sounds like he threw off flat ground for the first time since being shut down earlier this spring. So, I mean, that's great news. Brandon Morrow is an incredible weapon out of the pen when he's healthy. The problem is we just have no idea if he is going to be able to stay healthy. And so I was going to say that when he's healthy, caveat is kind of huge these days, though, because I feel like every time he takes five steps forward, he takes 15 back. So I mean, he literally hurt himself putting on pants last year. So I'm not entirely sure. (laughs) Like, I'm worried a little bit about Brandon Morrow's ability to stay healthy. Um, so it seems like even if you were to get Morrow and Strope back, Strope's had injury problems too. You know, those hamstrings are super fragile for Pedro. Uh, the, you would still need another piece. The Cubs, it's hard to see how the Cubs are going to put this together without going out and bringing in somebody, some person who can handle late inning appearances and lock down some of these games that, frankly, we're, we're kind of lucky that the offense has been so incredible that they've been able to pull some of these out with some dramatic walk-offs um, at this point in, in the season. Yeah, you know, if Strope would just hit the ball like Chatwood, he wouldn't have to worry about trying <laughs> to run out any ground balls. You know what I'm saying? I know. You got to hit those doubles instead of those little <laughs> dribblers, Strope. Come on. Because that's um, totally the rule and not the exception. <laughs> so w- let's let's like end this on a good note um, since we're, you know, I feel like Clint is going to be very proud of us for bringing in the we need a closer section of the podcast. Shout out to Clint if he's listening. Um, fun fact, it has not hurt the Cubs tremendously that they have had this stretch of not great baseball in the NL Central. In the last week in the NL Central, four of the five teams were five for five over their last 10 games. Every team playing exactly 500 ball uh, over that 10-game stretch, except our friends in St. Louis, the Cardinals, who are three and seven. Andy, what is the mood in St. Louis? Well, you know what? It's funny you ask, Sarah. (laughs) I am laughing because I'm going to a Cardinals game tonight. I will report back on our next episode, but I can promise you right now, no one in this city even remembers there's a baseball team right now because they are so enthralled with their hockey team. So right now, no one cares. I've not heard one thing. Well, and I I have to admit, I have not been listening to the local sports radio station as much because it's all hockey and it's quite annoying. Um, So, but you know, for the most part, like just people that usually have a lot to say to me about baseball have not said a word to me other than go blues. So I I can honestly tell you that we'll have to probably wait until after the Stanley Cup finals until we get back to the sky is falling. But I promise you that's probably what the mentality is for anybody following baseball right now. Fair enough. Uh, full disclosure, I am a Bruins fan and I basically became, I don't know, I, always, I obviously always like knew hockey existed, but I was never really a fan of the sport until I lived in Boston. So I used to run at the gym and I would watch Bruins in two. And it just happened to be in 2011 when they were making their last Stanley cup run, which was super fun. 
Um, and so I should, I should say, or I guess that wasn't their last one. They've been in the finals one time since then, but that was the year that they won. Uh, um, I, I appreciate am, you I coming very, clean about that. <laughs> I am very, very much here for another round of Boston beat St. Louis because I love it when Boston and St. Louis meet in the playoffs and Boston just wrecks shop. It's great. Listen, I have to say, I love my people in St. Louis that listen to this because I know this is like nails on a chalkboard for you guys that are Cardinals fans, but still want to support me. I just want to let you know, I don't know what I will have if you guys win a cup. So I'm sorry. I love you guys. I want to see you do well. This is going to be really great for the city, but I don't think I want you to win a cup because I have nothing if you win a cup. And if you don't understand what I mean, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> okay. And and you were, I think you were about to take a shot at me for almost forgetting a Blackhawk Stanley Cup. Well, so do it. Listen, Just do it. I have given it. you <laughs> I've given you so much credit and props today because your piece is phenomenal. If you haven't read this, you need to go read it. Sarah is an amazing writer, but this piece just blew me away. So you were almost perfect. Almost perfect. You were right there. It's okay. I still love you. I still love you too. Enjoy the game tonight, Andy. Have a great time watching the Cardinals lose, hopefully. They're playing Atlanta. I bet they lose. Uh, I am. I'm going to go listen to Joe Madden's press conference about this game and probably pour myself a glass of wine to get this long weekend started. We will be back and podcasting about the remainder of the series with the Reds on Monday. Look for us sometime during your holiday Memorial Day with episode eight. And we'll also have a preview of the Cubs trip to Houston, which should be a really incredible bit of baseball until then you can follow us at, at cup of cubby blue on Twitter. And as always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts or on bleedcubbyblue.com. Bye.